Hello and welcome along to the RTE Rugby Podcast. Week three of the Six Nations is upon us. Ireland hosting Wales on Saturday afternoon at the Aviva Stadium, as well as Scotland against England and France versus Italy. We'll be looking ahead to those games with Bernard Jackman and JP Cooney, who are with me this morning. Before we get into the Six Nations, though, fellas, it looks like we've got some pretty big news in the United Rugby Championship. It was reported last night by the Sunday Independence, Brendan Fanning, that Ulster head coach Dan McFarland is to step down with immediate effect. Uh, McFarland's been in charge since 2018 and oversaw some good years at Ulster, but I suppose probably a, a bit of a decline in the last year or so, culminating with um, a hugely disappointing Champions Cup campaign where in the final round they were hockeyed away to, to Harlequins and a very, very disappointing defeat on Sunday against the Ospreys, which leaves them eighth in the URC. And I think... Coming from the post-match interview, Birch, that Dan gave after that defeat to the Ospreys, I, I don't want to say the writing was on the wall, but he certainly looked like a man under intense pressure. Yeah, look, at six years is actually a long time in um, in pro coaching. Um, and never mind a, a, a province like Ulster where there's an expectation to, to maybe win silverware, which obviously it's, it's a while since they have. But I, I think... Dan did a brilliant job, I suppose, um, steadying the ship. Like, let's not forget when he came in, it was in a in a pretty bad place. There'd been um, a high turnover of, of coaches. Not many people wanted the job. And he came in and, and got stuck into it. And certainly, it looked for a long time like they were on the right track. Unfortunately, over the last last year, obviously, that home defeat to Connacht in the playoffs last year was a, was a blow. Um, there was a backlash around a 4G pitch by f- certain fans. Uh, I think it was a 10 players or, or more left um, last summer. And unfortunately, a lot of them uh, certainly were were, were um, talking off the record to, to journalists around the, the vibe and the environment. And just things haven't really picked up, you know, even though the results are far from disasters um, in, in the URC in particular, uh, and they are eight, but they play Dragons next, and they, you know at home they'll they'll win that in two weeks' time, and so they're probably on track to still make the top eight. Um, a heavy defeat to Harlequins, a heavy defeat to Toulouse, um, and just the general vibe up there is 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 really poor, and a lot of players are talking to people off the record and and uh, questioning the, and challenging the environment and saying it's not a great place to be, and even Craig Gilroy on Via Play pre-match and Craig was one of those players who was let go last summer but he said oh it's it, it's a very poor environment and there's no player-led um uh, it's not a player-led atmosphere or culture and and that doesn't work anymore etc so um yeah the, the right probably was on the wall and, and, and you know Dan Edwards kicks a, a brilliant drop goal Dan questions a couple of the refereeing decisions and uh, you know the backlash on social media was pretty strong to that and yeah, you just felt it was going to be difficult for them. There, look, the rumor was that they couldn't afford to to make that uh, decision to move him on. He had a year yeah, and a half. He's under contract. he's under contract till yeah. the end of next season. Yeah, so a lot like I think the general vibe was that things weren't great up there, but they're under pressure financially and they have to reduce their playing budget significantly. And and, and six players have been told they're not being kept, uh, and some of those are kind of players you expect to be an Ulster starting team. So it's not just fringe players. Um, and then obviously to get rid of a coach, uh, unless you report for, or unless you 
just reassign responsibility it's going to cost you money you know it's going to cost you money to replace him so it's going to be interesting actually interestingly it'll be probably david humphrey's first big task mm-hmm. you know i know he's not officially starting for a while but like realistically this this should be humphrey's decision not nusifora's you know humphrey's the one who's going to have to stand over it over the next cycle um obviously he, he he's someone from ulster um and it'll be interesting to see what they try and do uh do they go for a young irish coach like richie murphy or no mcnamara um i would say the name most likely to come in if they're going to come from outside is jared Payne. um like the players if they had a choice tomorrow morning it'd be jared Payne. um and i know he's not he you know he's he, he hasn't gone that well with claremont or scarlets but certainly when he was in ulster um he was very highly regarded I believe he's someone on the shortlist for Leinster to replace Andrew Goodman. Um, so, but would he go back to Ulster as head coach, you know? And I think, I think Bryn Cunningham, you know, who's director of operations, I think is his official title. Um, he has been head of recruitment. I think he probably can go and get a young head coach and allow Bryn Cunningham do the director rugby stuff, do the recruitment, liaise with the board. So probably their model is going to be a little bit like Leinster, um, you know, where Leo does a lot of the the off field stuff and you know, Nina Barr or Stuart Lancaster or whatever kind of look after the rugby. Well, Dan was kind of doing both, to be fair. Um, so they may go down for that model. And if you go down that route and you have an experienced person in that kind of recruitment role, well, then you, you can probably take a risk on someone who's not a proven head coach. Um, if you know him really well, like they know Jared Payne, so or Richie Murphy or, or no McNamara, but they'd be the three people I would say. Or most likely, but again, financially, they mightn't be able to do anything till uh, till the end of the year, um, and or maybe even next year, they might have to just promote one of their own. I'm not sure how bad the financial situation is. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see that, and I might I might circle back towards the potential replacements in a couple of minutes. But like JP, from from a player's point of view, when you're in that situation where you have a head coach and maybe relationships are a bit fractured and results aren't going well, like. From your career, I would think of the Kieran Keane season after Pat Lamb came in when you were at Connacht, and like I, I know he played out until the end of the season. Even though I think from the outside, anyway, I think a lot of us kind of assumed the writing was on the wall there, and that he was going to be leaving. Like it, it is so uncommon to see this happen in season in Irish rugby. Like I know, bizarrely, it was Les Kiss who left in twenty eighteen before Dan McFarland came in was the the other the other time in recent memory that it would have happened, but it just is very very strange to to see it happen mid season like this. Yeah, yeah, it is Neil. And look, it's a it's a difficult situation for everyone, you know, for Dan, for the players that you know still have to go out and play for the rest of the season. I mean, like you mentioned there, that Ulster are still are still eight and you know, hopefully hunting down a um, a playoff spot. Players that are moving on. Um, the fans in, in, in Ravenhill, I mean, like, I know Birch meant, I think I spent an hour on on Sunday night scrolling down through comments on Instagram. Um, like, there's a lot of loyal supporters up there, and, and you know, they, they, they're, they're passionate. Um, they're outspoken. They've no problem speaking up about their, you know, their views and their opinions on it. Um, you, you kind of feel for everyone involved. Is Dan fully to, like... You know, if you're pointing fingers there, I don't think there's anyone that you can 
fully blame. You know, there's obviously an onus on the players to go out and perform, but they're not going to perform if the environment isn't conducive to it. Um, like, like, like uh, I have a lot of respect for Dan. I mean, like Dan, Dan, build a lot of the foundations, the blocks that were there for us. Um, when we went on to win the the, the Pro Twelve in, in 2015, 2016, um, you know, he a lot of the forward play that 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 we used. You know, Jimmy Duffy was our head coach, but it was. It was Dan that laid the foundation. Um, or Jimmy Duffy was our forwards coach. Sorry, um, it was Dan that laid the foundations there in the years leading up to it. Um, so like I've, I I I see what he can do as a coach. I he's a very good coach, but I don't know. It just really seems like he's he's lost the he's lost the room. Um, I know Birch and and and, and Don Lennon they hit hit uh, they covered it off on against the head. Like there has to be a certain onus on players themselves you know when they are putting on the jersey um but then again how do you, you know, if you're not motivated if the if, if the environment isn't you know a place where you want to go out and perform it's a very it's a tough situation it's a very tough situation and obviously enough you know you, you mentioned Ulster might be under financial pressure i wouldn't have that kind of insight or, or know too much about that but then you know it's probably as good of a to change it now and get it done and over you know over and done with um so that they can maybe try and kick on and get to playoffs you know it might, with Dan stepping away the, like the players then have kind of no excuse really mm-hmm. um you know if they're saying the environment is is not great um so yeah look it's 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 a it's a difficult scenario and it's it's tough for everyone involved um is there anyone specifically to blame i i don't think so I don't. I don't think so. I think it's probably a culmination of everything and a lot of different factors, a lot of different variables thrown into one. And yeah, because you know you, you don't want to see any Irish province suffer. Um, definitely not. Um, like Ulster have some fat, fantastic players up there, fantastic players. And when you think of players that are on their roster, whatever it is that they're not, you know, just not performing coach, the environment, whatever it might be. Um, it's not good for Irish rugby. I know that much. Yeah, and Birch, like as you as you said beforehand, you have to recognize the fact that as as tough as the last few months have been for Ulster and maybe as frustrated as Ulster fans have been, particularly in the last two, three months, that like this was a coach that came in and picked them up when they were absolutely on the floor and probably in the worst place they have been in in profe- in since the since the professional game arrived and brought them back to a point where they were, we were talking about them as contenders to win titles. And I know they ultimately didn't go on and do it, but you know, as, as pissed off as some Ulster fans might be over the last few months and as pissed off as they might've been after Sunday's result in particular, there is a, there's a lot to be thankful for, for, for where Dan McFarland has brought them. Yeah, he has. And look, I feel, I actually think, he mightn't feel it this morning, you know, or maybe maybe it's his decision to walk away. But I actually think in a month's time, he'd be delighted to be out of there. You know, it, it, like it, six years is a long time, six years trying to to get a team over the line. And Dan is very ambitious. Um, and uh, JP's 100% right. I mean, they they were so close to getting that, um, that breakthrough against in, in that Stormers game to get to a final and win silverware. And it could, have all, it could all be different. But the, the reality also is he has been managing a budget 
that's going downwards. Um, and that's very difficult when you're having to get, let go of players. Player, letting go of players for underperformance is, is a given. Uh, and that's part and parcel of it. But letting go of players because effectively total sum you have isn't the same as where it was the year before is is very difficult and it causes friction and it causes conflict and um it it destabilizes the dressing room as well um and again it's not something we're used to in Ireland but certainly I think Munster Ulster and Connacht it seems are, are going through a little bit of cutting the fat and 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 typically the markets the market for professional rugby is is different than it was three or four years ago and players need to accept that um, it's a tougher environment. But as as the head coach or the director of rugby and you're the one delivering that bad news, you're the one making those decisions, it's very difficult, you know, and uh, Dan will, uh, like, he might maybe, it might come across that he doesn't have um, affection or, or care for the players, but he, that won't sit easy with him. And that, that release of pressure you know, for the next couple of months would be good for him. And he's he's always been a coach. He coached when he played. I played with him. Um, he's a passion for it. And I would I I would be surprised if he doesn't you know find a new challenge and and go. The only problem is obviously as a you know with a family and stuff like that. That's 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 the hard part of coaching is that you know it might be good for you personally to get away from it. Um, but. There's a there's a family involved and having to potentially move school and all that kind of stuff is is the hard part of it. But I, I don't think I think it'll be a relief for him um, because certainly from experience of the Dragons, I, I just got fed up having fights with with people about money, um, and eventually when that relationship broke up, um, and you know you get over the fact of feeling sorry for yourself, it's actually way better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Way better. So um, I think it'll be a relief to him in time, and he's done enough. In Glasgow and Connacht with the Irish in twenties with Ulster, that if you're looking for someone to come in and 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 improve your team, he's certainly going to be high on the list. So uh, yeah, I, I think um, it it in time in time people will appreciate the fact that the job he did at the start particularly and 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 so close to getting him over the line. But then once and that's the killer as well. Once you don't get over the line when that opportunity is there, it can be very difficult to to have another run at. Yeah, that's a good point. Bursch made there as well, even just to going back to his past in Ireland as well. And JP, I know you kind of touched on it with this. He'd been, you know, he's a Connacht stalwart as well from from down the years. But like between, we're not just talking about his his time at Ulster over the last six years. Like between his playing days in Connacht, coaching days in Connacht, Ireland under twenties along the way as well. There are there are quite a lot of players over the the last twenty years in Irish rugby that have had some sort of an influence off. Off Dan. Yeah, most definitely, Neil. Most definitely. Um, like it's it's. And uh, what Birch was saying there, it, it's nearly like it, it's a decision. You know, whether it's Dan himself that's stepping away from it, um, or you know, a decision within Ulster Rugby, um, but like, it's it's probably the only decision that makes sense. Um, you know, because like you have players it, it seems like the players are saying it's a bad environment so like when you have if you're talking about like a business decision you, you have all the players saying it's a bad environment players are leaving because there's no budget and then you have the the fans the the raven hill stalwarts like they were talking they were talking about boycotting some of the games on, on on instagram like when you have all that that pressure 
from external factors and even internal like within the squad. Like I don't think he's left Dan or Ulstrugby wherever the decision was made. I don't think they're left with much choice or option. Yeah. You know, I mean, like you were talking there about, you know, it's 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 odd for it to happen mid mid season. I don't. There's probably not any other alternative here. You know, um, realistically, Ulster still have, uh, still have a chance making the playoffs. Um, but with the way things are, like, I know they're playing Dragons next, but like. I haven't really looked at the fixture list of who they have left for the rest of the game or rest of the year. Um, but like maybe Dan stepping away at this point in time, like, you know, might give him a bit of energy. You know, like a change is as good as a start sometimes, you know. So I I don't know, it's it's a difficult situation. Um but yeah, Dan no doubt in Dan's um coaching credentials, you know. So hopefully they can they can move on from it and, and make the playoffs and, and draw a line in the sand and put out a few performances going into the back end of the year. Yeah, I think um I think they will. If they, they'll be there's big dragons anyway and that'll give them a bit of feel good factor. So whoever's coming in as as caretaker, um I heard I heard a rumor last night that maybe Richie Murphy would go up there. Uh, I know I said Jared Payne, but Richie Murphy maybe he's obviously hired a few contracted could he go in there as interim you know, for the rest of the season. Post twenty six nations. Yeah. 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 Like even next even next week, just a follow week, could he start for the Dragons game? Um and I like he's very highly rated. Uh, some of those Ulster under twenty some of those Ulster youngsters have worked with him. They rave about him. Um obviously as I said, the RFU then will be given I, I think the problem would be obviously you could promote from within, um, but it's not not a new voice. So if Ulster are looking to maximize the end of this season um, they may need new voice. And this isn't like back in the day, I remember Andy Farrell did a bit with Munster, you know, that the RFU would use their staff as such when they weren't busy to, to help out. So that could be a brilliant opportunity for Richie to, to have a, a taste of of, of coaching and gives Ulster a chance to maybe look at him. But um, I suppose it'll all become clear over the next the next 24 hours, 48 hours. Um, To loop back around then to what's happening beyond this season, I know like, you kind of floated a couple of names there that you know Jared Payne is the one that's being talked about a lot. Um, seems like still seems a little bit of a gamble just considering how the last couple of years have gone since he left Ulster. But in terms of the job itself, do you see it as an attractive job? Because on one hand, you have a pretty decent squad, uh, the Irish system, I imagine, is something a lot of coaches want to be involved in. There's you know that they're a team that's realistically with the squad they have would be compete like would expect to be in the champions cup year on year so there's good foundations there but also the flip side is they have this very very uncertain budget situation that we've heard about over the last few months there are players leaving this summer that i suppose is the the drawback of it how attractive a job do you think it is i think it's one of the best jobs in in europe Honestly, it is. It really is. I mean, Ulster, even even with the even with the budget stuff at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I think it. Is. I still think it is. I mean, a massive fan base, um, great stadium. Um, you know, I I know don't have any player. I like. I don't think the squad is is brilliant by any manner of means, but it's still more than good enough to be top six in the URC. Yeah, like uh, it's, it, yeah. It's not. It's not Leinster squad, but it's no, one of the better squads. It's one of the better ones. Like when you compare them to, like they should be able to beat. Glasgow and Edinburgh at home, 
you know, um, beat all the Welsh regions um, and, and probably beat the South African regions at home, I think. Um, so, yeah, I think it's one of a better job. And also, Ireland is a very attractive place to coach. I mean, look at look at Pete Wilkins. You know, he's had, what, five, six years in, in the Irish system as starting off as assistant coach, becoming head coach. Graham Roundtree obviously came in as assistant but, uh, and now became head coach. Leo's there um, a long time. Dan has had six years. I mean, you know, so head coaches will look at those type of people in, in, in Ulster and other provinces and say it's not as ruthless maybe as um or as cutthroat as some of the other competitions, top 14. You know, Richard Cocker went to Montpellier, was was gone two and a half months or three months in. You know what I mean? Like that's the that's the reality of it. Um and someone would see this as an opportunity to do what Dan did, which is pick them back up again. You know what I mean? Pick them back up again and, and get them get them getting better results and changing the the mood and environment. So no, I think it is a the big thing is is what the RFU how they how much they want to support Ulster. I think it's a big one for Humphreys and forget about his his natural allegiance to, to Ulster. Like realistically the high performance director of, of Irish rugby, they need a strong Ulster, you know, and, and at the moment they're like they're contrib- contributing very little to the Irish team. Um like Henderson and and, and Stockdale are great and they're members of they're important members of the squad but most like neither of them are spring chickens you know what i mean so like what's the next who's the next cab off the rank who are the next ulster players that are going to come in um like at hooker they're very strong but you know no one's going to take dan sheen's place or, or ronan keller's place so um that's the that's the that's the challenge i think that if they allow ulster if they don't turn out ulster it's not great for for our rugby and again i, I said i'm against the head like, look at the league table. You know, we've got three provinces who aren't guaranteed at the moment to make the top eight. And that's not brilliant. You know what I mean? That's not brilliant. If three provinces who are not going to win Europe this year, um, you know, uh, and again, that's that's not great. So I think there's, there's work to be done. Certainly is. Well, look, we'll put a pain in the Ulster chat for now because we probably should have news later on this afternoon. By the time you're listening to this, it could all be out in the open. We could know who the interim head coach is. Um, so we'll also, we'll just have to wait and see on that. We will move on to the Six Nations because we've somehow gone twenty plus minutes into this podcast, and Bernard Jackman has magically transported from one location to another, and we haven't even talked about the Six Nations yet. So I, we- had to, I, I had to talk to him about a dog about about Ulster, so I had to move. Sorry, lads. Oh, look! I mean, my editing skills people won't even notice. It'll be it'll be, it'll be seamless. But look, um, that Richie Murphy, that Richie Murphy news might be worth the break. <laughs> Uh, on the Six Nations, JP, Ireland and Wales this Saturday. Yesterday's big news was that Caelan Doris sat out training. No specific injury, according to Simon Easterby, just a few bumps and bruises, he says. Um the the quote Simon Easterby gave um doesn't doesn't fill me with the greatest amount of confidence. It, to quote him exactly, we don't expect him not to be fully fit for the weekend. So there's a couple of um there's a couple of qualifiers in that. We don't expect them to not be fully yeah. fit for the weekend. Um, it's very, very rare in this Irish setup that players who who don't train on a Tuesday would play on the match day. But uh, considering Caelan Doris has played the last 31 matches for Ireland, started 30 of them, um, would he be an exception to that rule if he was to train today? Well, yeah, look, I mean, like, he's a fantastic <laughs> player. Um 
I don't know if they, if that's true within the Irish camp that you don't train on a Tuesday. Well, uh, it's, they, not a, it's not a hard and fast, yeah, I know. but it's more just kind of like uh, from what we've seen over the last few years, it's it's very, very rare to see it. But um, you do get the feeling if you were to to be taking a risk on a player, Caelan Doris yep. is someone that you'd be you'd be willing to do it with. Yeah, but do, do they need to take that risk against Wales? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, what would the squad, um, what would the pack look like? Would you think if Caelan Doris wasn't available, um, what would they do? Just straight swap Conan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Jack Conan's a fantastic player. Um, you know, obviously Caelan Doris has the number eight jersey. Um, but if Jack Conan got the got the start there at the weekend against Wales, I don't think we'd be losing too much. Um, if I'm being honest about it, um, like powerful, great ball carrier has great ball skills. He's a big man. Well able to get over the gain line. Um, it's only that Caelan Doris has been so excellent over what is it, the last thirty-one games? Did you say? Yeah, thirty-one um, for Ireland. Yeah, like they, they, to even to even you know be fit for thirty-one games. Um, so that's that alone in itself is 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 an achievement. So, like Jack Conan has performed in the in the Irish jersey, you know, time and time again. Any chance he's got, he any time he's got a chance to play. Um, Anchoring the scrum there as as a number eight, he I think he's been fantastic. I, I'd be a big fan of Jack Conan. I don't think we'd lose too much if Caelan Doris didn't play at the weekend. I, it'd be interesting to see what happens. I mean, like depends on how much those niggles are. The expectation of I don't expect him to be not be fit. Like how much how much of a risk is it to put him onto the pitch on on Saturday? Um, but yeah, like I don't. If Jack Horner goes in there, I don't think we'd, we'd be losing too much. How do you feel about that, Birch? Would you be, would you be willing to just not take the risk this weekend and and give Jack Conan a run out? Yeah, I don't think there's hard and fast rules anymore about training on a Tuesday or whatever like there was with Joe. But um, I actually would. I, I think Conan is 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 a quality option. I think we have like Sir Ryan Baird as well. Um, you know who's outstanding against Italy. So I think it's a real strong message. To those players, if someone has a knock, someone's not one hundred percent sure, right that they don't have to play. Um, and yeah, I, I would have no issue with with Conan starting and Pete coming back in as captain and Ryan Baird on on the bench. I think, um, I think it's still very very strong. the The good news is that the the handful of players who sat out the the win against Italy with the the minor little niggles, the likes of Peter Mahoney, Tyg Furlong, uh, Bundiaki. Uh, are more than likely going to be coming back in this week. Gary Ringrose, it seems, is fit, but we're not sure whether or not they're going to going to put him straight back in. They might just give him another another extra week, considering we've the break week coming up after Wales, and you know reward the likes of Robbie Henshaw and and Gary Ringrose or and Bundyaki and Stuart McCloskey for doing quite well over these uh, over these few weeks. But the the big decision is going to be at full back. Bertrick, obviously, we spoke about. We spoke about it last week. We were debating whether it be Kieran Frawley or maybe you put Jack Crowley back there to to see how he goes. And there's there's plenty of options you can do without there being one standout one. I think the closer we're getting to it, it seems more likely that it's probably going to be Kieran Frawley that'll that'll get the start. JP, um, I suppose a lot of the the talk over the last week has been this has maybe exposed our our lack of depth at at full back ever so slightly. Um, considering you know we've been very very reliant on Hugo Keenan over the last few years, 
But I, I don't know how you're feeling. On it. My take on it would be personally that I think we might be overblowing the the lack of depth line a little bit too much, considering like we're debating here over who the fourth choice fullback is going to be. Yeah. Because, yeah. Like I think people are kind of forgetting maybe that in normal circumstances, if Hugo Keenan gets injured, Mac Hansen goes in there or Jimmy O'Brien goes right. there. And I think any international team, if they lose their first three options at fullback, it's probably not going to be obvious who the next person is, is going to be. Yeah, like uh, talk about the like the depth of the squad. Um, obviously, you have three players that would put on a fifteen jersey there that are unavailable. Um, like I, don't, I mean, like what you said, Neil. Take three possible fullbacks out of any squad in the world, and I don't think you're, you're reaching down there an awful lot. It'd be interesting to know. Like I know Wales, they announced the team yesterday. Um. What the Irish lads will probably announce it tomorrow. I'd be very interested to see who they put in. Um, who they put in at, who they put in at fifteen. I mean, like, Kieran Frawley, Jack Crowley. Yeah, two two good options. And like, is there other options there? Could you put James Lowe in at fifteen? Um, I don't know. Well, who would go on to the wing then? I'm more, maybe thinking out loud than anything else. Um, but like, say if you put Crowley, Crowley in at fifteen. Uh. Is it Ross Byrne or Harry Byrne that goes in at 10? Um, probably Harry Byrne, right? Yeah, it's, it's, hard, to know. it's hard to know. I don't, I don't have an answer. Um, definitely paying the head, but it's not like there's no options there, you know? I mean, like any of those other players, Frawley, maybe Crowley. I, 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 I don't know if they'd move Crowley back to fullback, to be honest. Um, they could do. I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. How do you how do you feel about on not so much who will play this weekend, but the idea of the the lack of fullback depth? Yeah, it's a, it's obviously a bit of an issue, um, and we've been so lucky that Keenan yeah. has been pretty much bulletproof. I I I I'd either go for Crowley or Frawley, um, and and rumor is certainly rumor the RDS on Saturday was that Frawley was the one who was going to get the start, and uh, and again as I said last week. I just think both of those are are well. I think Crowley will be our number one ten, but um, you know, if one of those other tens pushes through late in the game, he may have to go to fullback or you know, I know he's played centre as well before, and likewise for all he's played, you know, 10, 10 centre or fullback and was on the bench against Ireland against France when we went six two. So just thinking about giving those him and or those type players, so Harry Byrne, Jack Crowley, uh, and Kieran Frawley, who are young. Inexperienced at this level, just game time, game time, and and uh, that was my thoughts. But it, rumor is it's going to be it's going to be Frawley. I have no issue with that. Like I think, um, I think he's he's more than capable. Um, and yeah, to see him get valuable minutes in a Six Nations game is class. Uh, the Wales team was named yesterday, as JP mentioned. Warren Gatlin just deciding to hell with us. I'll lay my cards out on the table, and you can see what they are, and you can go from there. We've nothing to lose anyway. One change from the side that started against England, Sam Costello in it, out half for uh, Ian Lloyd. Birch, if you're Warren Gatland, like I was looking at it yesterday, I, Ireland, according to the bookies, are 22-point favourites. I can't ever remember a time that Ireland would be 22-point favourites in a Six Nations game against Wales. It's very, very... It's it's uncharted territory for, for both teams, really. So yeah. If you're, if, if you're... if Sorry, to, to if you're Warren Gatland and you're going into this game, what is... What's what's a, 
a tangible expectation for them going into this game. If they're heading on to their next match in, in two weeks' time, I can't even remember who they are playing in the next one up. Um, playing France next time up. What is something tangible that they can take from this weekend? And I don't I don't mean to be patronizing saying that, like patting them on the head saying, Oh, well, you're not you're not gonna win this weekend, but realistically, if you look where the two teams are, Wales expect Wales have certain expectations going into this game. What can yeah. they what do you think they can take from it? No, look, I think a bonus point would be incredible, or that's a four try bonus, which um Again, looking how Ireland have been defending, that looks unlikely. Um, or getting them within seven, which they have done the last two games against England and and uh, Scotland. I think that'd be a huge bonus for them. I, I don't genuinely don't think Ireland would have to underperform in a massive way f- to see Wales get a win here. Um, but I think Gatland is is very happy with his team. You know, uh, in terms of obviously that first half against Scotland was was shocking, but since then, like they they went to England against you know a team who lost a, a World Cup semi-final narrowly in Twickenham and all the talk about a new Twickenham and um, a new atmosphere and a new way of playing. And they really put it up to, to England. Now, I don't think England, I think England are still trying to find their way. Um, and I think there's a gulf in class and Ireland look to be a good bit ahead of everybody else. Um, and, and, and in fairness, the others are all rebuilding to a certain extent and we aren't. So, like, it's not doesn't mean that necessarily we're, we're miles better than them, but the rest are yeah. all... The rest are all thinking about something different. Um, and yeah, and I, and I think Gatlin would be delighted if they just show the same fight. They take Ireland out of their comfort zone, they make it difficult for us. Uh, and I, like that, Gatlin is someone who wants to win, but he and looks at that squad, he has to realize and he does realize that this is a complete rebuild. Um, and the fastest way and the best way to rebuild is by being competitive. Um, and if he can be competitive in Dublin. They'll fancy themselves to beat France, um, who look a little bit off, and then beat Italy. And suddenly, you know, you've two wins, two losing bonus points, and you know, maybe something out of the Irish game. And it's been a hell of a championship, I think, given how the Welsh rugby is um off the field, that would be uh, an unbelievable six nations for him. I I would say where he is now, obviously compared to the Welsh teams he's had in the past, it would be a poor six nations, but I just think um, you look at some of those players, some hardly played regional rugby, um, aren't household names, have to prove themselves, and that would be a big result for them. And JP, like the way he's the way he's gone about things in the last year since he came in, it's like I think if you're one of the players, it probably reflects well on him that he came in and I think initially when he got the job back just over a year ago, there might have been people thinking, Okay, this is a He's back trying to trying to win one last Six Nations title before riding off into the sunset. Um, the fact that he's kind of torn things up and started from scratch pre World Cup. It it does it send a message to the players that this guy is kind of here for the long haul and he's you know he he's thinking about a long term project rather than just trying to eke out one more win to to add to his CV. Yeah, but potentially Neil. Um... Like I can't remember who maybe it was one of the the media press conferences during the week. I think it was Simon Easter. He was you know highlighting that within the Welsh camp when Warren Gatlin talks, everybody listens and everybody takes on board um what he says and and you can see that you, you can see that in him. Like talk about man management, like, they haven't got results, but what Birch said, yeah, he's reading between the lines. He seems happy with what what they've been doing so far. Like, 
realistically for the weekend, there's only one team that can lose, and that's that's Ireland. And let me, I know that sounds a bit mm-hmm. airy fairy, but the way the way you look at it is right. Wales are going over to play, and you know they're they've a they've a lot of work to do in terms of where their squad is at the moment, um, where they potentially want to get to. Um, if they go over and perform, if they go over and like stand tall in their Welsh jersey, puff out their chest and really, you know, go at the Irish. Personally, I think even if they do that, it, it won't be enough to, to beat Ireland. But if they perform and if they don't just go into their shells, like that's that's a win for them. I know like you're looking at tangible measurables, like whether it's a four, you know, try bonus or get within seven. Yeah, most definitely. But the actual performance itself or itself is probably what Gatland will be trying to focus on going over to play a dub. Um and yeah, like the, the like they've nothing to lose. They've nothing to lose only to go out and like you see it say for the performance in the second half against Scotland. They were essentially bet at half time. Like I wasn't I love I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to hear what what Gatland said to him at half time because they came out in the second half and they just played. They just played rugby. Um, they'll probably try and do something, you know, like that against Ireland. Just go out and play, you know, just play rugby. Um, I I don't think they'll probably get as close to Ireland as they did to Scotland. Um, if they do do that for eighty minutes, but it, I think it'll be more the performance rather than, you know, winning the game. Because I hope I'm not eating my words here. I'm not trying to. Like what you said, be patronised, but I think that's the way it, you know they'll they'll approach Saturday. Yeah, like I I I just am so wary of this section of the conversation yeah. being clipped up and posted all over like Wales Online or something like that oh, yeah. on on Sunday morning after Ireland are beat. But it's um a it's an interesting situation Ireland are in now as well, Birch. Where I I remember after the Italy game a couple of weeks ago, Gonzalo Quesada, the Italy head coach, he he said that Ireland are at this point now where it's like um like the All Blacks of a few years ago, where when they get you pinned down, it's foot on the throat, and they're they're absolutely ruthless. I think I think maybe they're a couple of gears off what the All Blacks were, but they have to they have to be at a point now, Ireland, where they're in game if if they're in games like this, where there's a massive expectation on them to win and win well. That they go out and be quite ruthless, ruthless about it, and not just try win the game by your five or ten points or, or get the victory, but to to really really make a statement in these games. Uh, look, I think the, if they were in black, you'd say they were the All Blacks. That's the, the okay. order. That's, that, and in fairness, this is different than most years. I think if we talk and we've spoken, you know, two years ago, it would be picked up by Welsh media and it would come across as really arrogant. But even the Welsh pundits. You know, reporters, journalists, fans—they do understand that there's a there's a gulf in class based around what we've seen over the last uh, two three years. Um, and this Irish team are like their ability to get bonus point wins. You know, th- their ability to be consistent. Um, and obviously, what what's the what is it? Nineteen or twenty games, or whatever, whatever twenty or nineteen or twenty or twenty one. Like it is week in week out when they play. They've been able to um, perform whether they're underdogs or whether they're favourites, and that's and that's been that's something that other countries have really struggled to do, um, and and they do deserve a lot of credit for that. And that's why the bookies have twenty two points favourites. 
um, and everyone's expecting it to be a formality. Of course, things can change, uh, but again, like I, I'd be very, I'd be worried about England more. So. I'd be worried about the England game. Not that I don't think we're better than England, but I think England have the players who've won things. They have a game plan which potentially can take the sting out of ours, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Whereas with Wales, uh, Gatlin's mantra is playing, as, as JP said. But I don't, I don't think that's enough. You know, it's, it's it's grand against England away from home, keep the ball um, uh, against Scotland when you're 27 points down. But realistically, like Ireland look to have the answers to that as well. And and uh, yeah, I just think it does sound arrogant, but I, I think we, we have to expect that the result will be a bit of a formality. Yeah. And I mean, like if you want to be the best in the world, you have to, you have to act like the best in the world. Um, before we finish up, I do want to mention Scotland England, uh, four forty five game this Saturday because it is it is set up really really interestingly. JP, just with the way both teams have gone in the competition so far, England two wins, not really played brilliantly, but going about their business all right and have plenty of scope to get better. And they've got players coming back from injury. I know they've lost Alex Mitchell as well, but they do have you know Ali Lawrence, Manu Tulangi uh, coming back in. And probably available for them if they want them. Scotland then, on the other hand, seems to completely rattle themselves after that game against France. But over the last few years have made a very, very good habit of getting themselves up for this game against England. So there's there's no fear on their part of, of taking on an English team. It's set up very, very well. Yeah, it'll be... I think it'll be a fixture of the weekend. Um It's hard to know. Like, who would you, be, from an Irish perspective, like who who would you be hoping wins here? I wonder. Um, I personally, if you're asking me, I would, I would yeah. be hoping that I would be hoping that Scotland win. To be honest, yeah. Because I think yeah. if Ireland are going to England in in two weeks' time against an England team that have won three games out of three and have kind of incrementally seen their performance get a little bit better, um, I think they will absolutely fancy their chances of having a crack off Ireland. Yeah, and and, and I, I like uh, the the take the part of that for the Six Nations. Like if Scotland win, if Scotland beat England, um, and Ireland beat England, are are Scotland still on the last game? No, taken for granted, and you know this is a big taken for granted that Ireland beat Wales, Ireland beat England. Yeah, and Scotland beat Italy, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. This is going to sound terrible, and you're talking about. <laughs> don't say it then. <laughs> don't hang yourself. Scotland, Scotland, slam busting on the last day. I think if Scotland, um, if Scotland, if Scotland have a chance to win a Grand Slam against Ireland, I think they crumble under the under the pressure of it. I, I like. I don't know who I want to win. Well, like, no, like we be just, it, they, they don't have a chance to win the title rather than the Grand Slam. Sorry, yeah, they lost yeah, apologies. Grand yeah, they lost. Yeah, yeah lost chance of winning the title. Yeah, but yeah. So, like, if there's, uh, I, I haven't done the permutations on the table, but like, if Scotland could, like, if there was an opportunity there for them to beat Ireland on the last day of the Six Nations, um, I, I prefer Ireland to be going for a Grand Slam and Scotland have a bit of pressure on them, saying that okay, we can win this if we we could win the we could win the championship. I, I don't think they'd handle that pressure very well, you know. Um, so. I don't know, there's just so many variables involved with it, but there you go. How are you feeling about this this Saturday's game then, Merch? Because we, like, we spoke before the Six Nations and you kind of mentioned it there as well, how 
England had a they had a nice draw of games in this where you know Italy first then Wales then Scotland and there was the scope for them that they were able to just kind of build their performances week on week and if they were to do that this week against Scotland they're they're on track to they're on track for a massive game against Ireland at Twickenham like how are you feeling this weekend? Yeah I did a pod last week with Jim Hamilton and Stuart Hogg and it was the first half hour we're talking about Scotland, and then they said to me, oh, "Do you think England have a chance?" And I said, oh, "Yeah, <laughs> I actually think England will have win. a chance." No, this was like it was very. I was like, <laughs> I, I, against England, I was like, "Yeah, I actually think England will have a very good chance of winning because I think if the game is tight, I would fancy England all day." Yeah, and um, and and again, can Scotland run away from them? They probably can. Like there is a, there's a, there's elements of there's weaknesses in this English defense as it. As as Felix Jones gets to basically build it, if you understand, and like we saw Wales exploit it, but I just don't know where Scotland's head's going to be at. Like I mean, yeah. they found like they found a way to to nearly fuck up um, an unbelievable opportunity in 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 way in Cardiff. Um, don't get the bonus point at the end, um, and then blow a, a a win against France, where France were putrid. The France were really really poor. So put the put on top of that, you know the the World Cup exit. The previous World Cup exit, like I, I feel really sorry for Gregor Townsend. I think, I think there's only so like Tom about Dan McFarland six years. Like there's only so many times Gregor on a Monday morning can can really reframe it and convince them that they are the greatest team ever in Scottish history. Like when they haven't really backed it up, they've had a few scalps to beaten a poor England team a couple of times over the last couple of years. You know they've beaten France, but when it's been put up to them, they they've always flattered to deceive. So I think England's game will be would be exactly what Scotland would hate to play against. And um, I think England will, will squeeze them and, and get a win in, in Murrayfield. And then it'll all come down to Twickenham then, you know. Um, and I don't think England are brilliant, but I think that they have, a, they have more than Scotland at the moment, I believe. And crucially as well, I think, Birch, like if if you're bringing back one or both of Ali Lawrence slash Manu Tuilagi, like yeah. the England attack hasn't been particularly good in those opening two games, but having a big... A big gain line winner in midfield there is is a would be a massive addition to what they're trying to do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I I think that that's the problem. That's the only that, that's been an area where they've been kind of caught a little bit. So they're playing, you know, George Ford with you know a lot of the Northampton backs who are used to playing a certain way, mm. um, and when they weren't able to kind of get to wit quickly, didn't have that. Uh, alternate type play, which they'll get with Ollie Lawrence or, or Manitoulagi. And I actually think Ollie Lawrence on form is a better shot because he, he kind of Manu's Manu's Manu on his best is brilliant. But um I think that uh Ollie Lawrence gives him that carry plus ability to offload and, and passing game. He's been excellent um this year. So yeah, I think that's a huge boost for Bortwick and um will make them more dangerous. Yeah, certainly gonna be interesting. Give us our Give us your final prediction then for the uh, Scotland and England game 4.45 on Saturday before we finish up. England by four. JP? Scotland by one. I'll go against you, Birch. Okay. JP is setting up a a Six Nations decider at the Aviva Stadium on St. Patrick's weekend against Scotland? With with the hope of Scotland blowing it. <laughs> well, listen, we've uh, a huge amount of rugby coming up in the next few days on RTE uh, two Ireland against Wales. That is Saturday, one thirty p.m. Coverage starts on RTE two and RTE player, 
Um, you can also listen to live commentary on RT Radio 1. We'll also be showing France against Italy on Sunday from 2.30pm coverage starts on RT2 and RT Player. And also the Ireland under-20s in action on Friday night down in Cork against Wales. 7.15pm start on RT2 and RT Player. And also uh, keep track of the RT, RT News app and rt.e forward slash sport for all the updates and team news over the next few days. Fellas, thanks a million. And uh, we'll speak to you next week. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Neil.